0: Welcome back to ES46560, Race, Class, Empire, The Olympics. I'm Dr. Courtney Cox. And last time we talked about two athletes in particular, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, as well as other athletes around them in a larger kind of conversation about protest and the Olympics in 1968. I'd like to start with thinking about another athlete we don't talk about nearly as much as we talk about Tommy Smith and John Carlos, and that's Vera Kozlovska from Czechoslovakia. Kozlowska's activism in opposing Soviet rule forced her to go into hiding as she began to prepare for the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City. And in the piece, They're talking about her role, you know, practicing using a log as a balance beam and shoveling coal instead of doing weight training. And you really see the toll that it's taking her activism, specifically the fact she signed all these various documents, that she's a prominent person that is really training in fear. She's in a secluded area preparing for the Olympics, but really unsure of what might happen to her because of the role that she's taken in speaking up in terms of a free Czechoslovakia. So one of the things about Vera that I find interesting, is her performance itself. And so you see part of her floor routine in the piece that I posted on Canvas. And the more important thing that I really want you to watch is think about, um, there's two potentially things. So one of the things is, unlike track and field, which is very objective, whoever crosses the line first wins. Gymnastics is a very subjective sport that when we think about the political infusion, into the olympic games it also affects the actual product that we see um, on the field on the court on the mat and in two events vira koslavska was forced to share her gold medal with soviet athletes due to the judge's decision when you see her on the podium following that floor routine And this is one of the gold medal ceremonies where she's sharing a medal with the Soviet athlete after the Soviets have invaded Czechoslovakia and she's really feeling away obviously she's trained in isolation she's been in hiding because of this and now she has to share the podium with an athlete representing the exact country that's invading her own she turns away when the Soviet anthem is being played it's a very small gesture if you watch it You may or may not have even noticed anything, but there is a way. She looks away, she turns away, and we find out later on she tells the Soviet athletes she respects her game on the map, but she doesn't respect what her country is doing. So unlike Smith and Carlos, who had been kicked out of the Olympic Village by the end of day two of the Olympic Games, she's allowed to stay for the Olympics, but when when she returns home, she faces hardship because of her stand on the podium. So the small gesture, the way she just turns her head down, it's like a very graceful turn, is enough to really change the course, the trajectory of her whole life. As a very decorated Olympian, she should have received all of the accolades, all of the love, all of the money when she got home. She should have had a really cushy training gig, training the future gymnasts of Czechoslovakia. And instead, she struggled the rest of her life, financially, when she turned home for a very long time. So again, we're really seeing the effect long term of what a singular moment, a singular protest can do during the Olympics. And it is a huge sacrifice. And I'm really pointing to with Smith, Carlos, Kozlovska. And finally, I want to think about what that means for someone like Feisa Lalesa. And with it as a marathoner, which is already a really kind of solitary training vibe for a lot of people, you may run in packs, but it's it's this very individualized thing that's different than if you're running a relay, for example, in track and field. There's something about the isolation of distance running that I think really um, opens up space for an individualized action in a particular way. And so I'm thinking about Lalesa, who was a marathoner in the 2018 Olympics in Rio. And thinking about what he does as he crosses, he wins the silver medal as he's crossing the finish line, he crosses his arms into an X. And what he's doing is replicating the shackles, this shackled kind of protest movement that people are doing in Ethiopia. He's of the Oromo people. And so when he is, when there's all this protest and strife going on in Ethiopia, and he is in many ways aligning himself in solidarity with the protesters who are you know, some of them are disappearing, others are getting injured or killed during protests. The fact that he is aligning himself with that struggle as someone of the Roma people, um, and he's saying the way the government is treating these folks, the way that we are not treated equally isn't fair. There's a way that I would not know anything about that particular struggle had it not been for him. So there's something about the heightened awareness that we receive as members from other nations about a particular country's struggle. And I think there's a really great way the Olympics, if it's bringing us all together, right, that's the kind of the Olympism that we're supposed to have, this collectivity around sport, can it also be a place, and this is the provocation that I'm asking you this week, can it also be a place where we come together and talk about our own issues and strife? Does it have to be just a two-week party in the Olympic Village? Or can it be a space where as you're experiencing this incredible triumph, you're also acknowledging the strife that you've had to go under, that you've lived under in training to get to this space? There's no way that we can understand Leleisa's journey as an athlete, as an Olympian, as a medalist, without knowing the strife, the turmoil that he's faced as being a member of the Oromo ethnic group within Ethiopia. And so to me, I want to know the whole range of your life and possibilities and what that's like for you. Other people are like, no, I just want to see this athletic performance. And I think it really cheats us out of something much more beautiful and much more important about kind of where we are in the human condition um, by not attending to those things as well. These things also make an Olympian. It's more than just training But for him, I think a lot of times, you know, later on, he writes that as he was getting more active and involved, he was afraid of going on his long runs because he didn't know if he would also get disappeared. He didn't know what the potential ramifications were as people were being jailed, people were being, you know, kidnapped. You didn't know what happened to your loved one, if they died during a protest, if they were kidnapped by the government, if they were imprisoned falsely. And so he does this knowing that as he's doing this in Rio he can't go back to Ethiopia. Doing this simple gesture, and he also does it on the podium, is enough that he has now put his life at risk. And so thinking about the idea of protest, the penalty of protest, and the long term ramifications, which Lalesa has a wife, he has family there, he has a kid in Ethiopia, and he was really fighting for um, them to have a better life. But he understood he was also putting them in danger by doing that, and so he immediately was petitioning for asylum in North America, um, and and really just trying to to really not only call attention to it, but also feel like he's creating a a new life for himself and his family. Because a lot of it is also thinking about the opportunity of the Olympics and what that means. So the aftermath of his protest is bound up in a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of applications, thinking about green cards, visas, documents. There's a lot of bad news he's getting about friends, loved ones that have been murdered or put in prison. He's made these ultimate sacrifices in terms of family, home, everything that he's known. And I really want to emphasize that. These small gestures. I think about Vera. I think about Faiza, I think about the solidarity of someone like Laomi Taez, who says, hey, I really respect what Smith and Carlos did. Knowing that putting herself in conversation with them was a choice and that choice had consequences. And it's this story, I think, with Faisa and Lisa is actually happier than most in terms of its ending. Not only did he receive a green card and was able to eventually bring his family over to the States, he later was able to go back to Ethiopia under a new regime, in part because of the protesters, including him, that brought in a new day for the Oromo people, a new administration that is in many ways doing the reparative work of restoring what had been taken from the Oromo people. He receives this prize money, kind of widely considered as an athlete activist, for his efforts. And now he, he does the, if you see in the, in the article, he does the unshackled hand before it was crossed. And now there's a new gesture, him and the president, um, zawoudi do it together, where they're both unshackled. So this resignation of the former prime minister in 2018 really made a difference. The successor... The new prime minister is also is from Aromia, same place as Faysal lived lifted the state of emergency that had been put into place, released thousands of prisoners, allowed all kinds of activists to return home, unblocked all these websites and TV channels before you would have the internet just blocked for a certain amount of time. So if he was trying to reach out and talk to his wife and his kid, he would have trouble. Um, and they also ended the state of war with Eritrea. And so thinking about um, what it means in terms of this larger geopolitical landscape, We can look back and say, wow, Leleysa was on the right side of history, did the right thing. But there were a lot of days and nights and worry and and lost loved ones and things that he suffered in that time. And so I really want to think about the larger kind of scope of protest and the Olympic Games and what that means in terms of what spaces are open to us to protest, to speak out. Um, If we think about any other avenue, sport is just this really rich, visceral place where the body can be put on display for a variety of reasons. And- expanding beyond the spectacle of one's athletic prowess, to think about one's activist potential, I think is something that I think a lot about. And I think that I think I put a lot on athletes to speak out and do things. and So I kind of like to think about the Lalesa and Vera Kozlovska as two examples of thinking about the real life consequences and thinking about why some people don't speak out um, and and trying to be a little kinder with myself and others and thinking about, you know, we expect so much from others. Am I putting those same expectations on myself? So I really want to think about um, these two athletes in, in conversation, what it means to span These very two historical contexts, 50 years of time, um, and think about what all of these athletes together mean. And so as you think about your final projects and your critical essays that, you know, will come, I want you to kind of ask these questions of yourself, what these expectations might be that we have for athletes, sometimes for governing bodies, if we go back to thinking about those those boycotts? What does it mean that we put these expectations um, on these groups of people that we might not necessarily even put on ourselves? I want to think about what Rule 50, returning to that, what Rule 50 is supposed to do and what it does in actuality. I want to think about what it will mean next year when there will be an entire new set of issues, geopolitical issues that are, are really important. Climate change, again, will will remain an important issue. But also thinking about what the pandemic has taught us, what it continues to teach us, actually, um, as we sit in the midst of this, what kind of protests do you think we might see next year? There, there's a whole extra year for people to organize and think about it. Um, but, you know, I, I really want to think about what that means because we'll later on in the term, we'll talk about the No Olympic movement. If we go back to Dr. Jules Boykoff's current project, and what that means and people that are resisting the Olympics itself. Um, so all big body issues, questions, uh, but I'm interested in hearing from you this week on, on what you're thinking about protesting the Olympics and kind of maybe even comparing it to other forms of protest. I brought in Gwen Berry and Rose Robinson, that piece to kind of think about The kind of the cusp of these global events, but we can also expand that out to things like the NBA, the NFL, the WNBA, and thinking about protests across sport in general and what makes protests in the Olympics so interesting, so special, and so poignant in a particular way across history. Thanks for listening.